This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hangout in the Holy Land, a Land Grant Holy Land's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, as always, is Josh Dooley. Josh, how are you doing on this fine Tuesday evening? I believe this is the the official start of summer, if I'm not mistaken, on this uh, June 21st as we're recording this. I'm doing good, my man. And uh, yeah, summer has kicked off with a bang with just all kinds of stuff going on in the sports world. But I know we're going to narrow our focus just a little bit because uh ohio state had a big day but yeah good good things happening glad summer's here 95 degrees every day here in uh columbus here for the next week or so so gonna be a hot one yeah busy day in the sports world unfortunately no ohio state news this week not a not a single thing has happened (laughs) so i don't i don't really know what we're gonna talk about i haven't heard of anything happening at Ohio State this week. I think it's a pretty slow news week. NHL playoffs coming at you. Yeah, I think we're going to have a very detailed uh, Game 4 preview of the Avalanche and Tampa Bay Lightning on this podcast because nothing else is going on. But no, obviously, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan listening to this podcast, you've heard the news by now. Uh, a 10-star week for Ohio State's wide receiver room as they come in and grab two of their top targets in the position, probably their top two targets overall. I don't know how there'd be anybody else above them as they're both five-star prospects. But we will start with... The first guy here, uh, the first commitment of the week here on Monday, and that was five-star wide receiver Carnell Tate. Uh, you know, able to outlast the push here for Ohio State over Tennessee, who, you know, came in late there with some NIL stuff and some other, you know, early playing time, uh, threatening stuff like that. But largely because of Brian Hartline, his relationship with him and Ohio State's track record of wide receiver development, Ohio State was able to come out ahead in the end for Carnell Tate, six foot two, 185 pound wide receiver, the number three wide out in the class, number 28 player overall, and the number seven player in Florida. Josh, a huge get early in this week and probably... You know, we, we, we've talked about both of these guys, Tate and the, the other commit who we'll get to shortly, but he was kind of, you know, we thought he'd be, earlier on in, the, in his, like, recruitment, we kind of thought he was leaning towards Ohio State, and then later on, the, you know, Notre Dame and Tennessee kind of came on pretty strong, but in the end, it is Ohio State, so it's good to see them pull the trigger on that, get that done, and I, you know, that was a, a big domino to fall early this week. Yeah, I think last week, I'd kind of, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about his flirtation with Tennessee or Notre Dame or whatever. And, you know, I kind of said, look, if they miss out on him, so be it. But like, don't mistake it. He is a huge get. And it's great to get him in the Ohio State wide receiver room because he's a crazy talented guy. You know, he's got prototypical size and frame. Excuse me, I would say kind of in my opinion, he looks sort of like a Garrett Wilson on film, but he has two inches on Garrett Wilson. You know, he's a legit six, two 
not a burner, but a glider for sure. He's got more than enough speed. And the thing that I like about him, you like this about a lot of wide receivers, as long as it doesn't go overboard, is he talks the talk, he walks the walk, and he carries himself with confidence. You know, we've seen him active on social media talking about, you know, his game, his recruitment process, this, that, and the other. Um, so I I keep using the word prototypical, you know, he just, that's kind of what he comes across as to me. He's not uh, like a small-ish kind of slot guy. He's definitely an outside wide receiver, but he's got the flexibility to do both. And, you know, I, I was reading some more about him on 24-7 today, and a couple of guys raved about his ball skills, uh, you know, in, in his hands, his ability to high point a ball, this, that, and the other. And so, like, I think at the very least you're getting – a deep threat or a red zone guy, but the ceiling is much, much higher than that. And clearly he has some connections to some other recruits. So just a big get and sort of a domino effect as we will talk about here kind of throughout the podcast, I guess. Yeah. And, and I like that you bring up the, the kind of the Garrett Wilson comp there, not that you want to, you know, put too much weight on a, on a kid's shoulders in the 2023 class. But like you said, you know, you read through some of his, his scouting reports and you do hear a lot of what you would, you know, consider stuff that would be described to, to Garrett Wilson. You see the, the body control able to get open, you know, consistent hands makes the tough catches look easy. Not the, the fastest guy in the world, but could turn on the jets and make big plays, all stuff that you would, you know, attribute to Garrett Wilson. So if Ohio state's even able to get, you know, 75 to, to 90% of what Garrett Wilson was out of Cornell Tate, um, they'd certainly take it. And by all accounts, it sounds like he could be that type of player. It's not like he's a, you know, a three or four star project. This is a, a five star recruit, the number three wide receiver in the class. You know, he plays at IMG Academy, so you know he's get playing against the best at the prep level. Uh, originally from Chicago, so he did grow up in that in that uh, the Big Ten footprint. But plays his high school ball at IMG. We know you know what they're all about and the kind of level of competition he plays there. So he'll, he'll probably come in, you know, pretty college ready as both of these guys will that we're going to discuss. But. Yeah, you don't want to put too much weight on his shoulders, too high of expectations, but as a five-star prospect with a lot of these you know, characteristics that we've heard before from a, a wide receiver that just got taken in the top 12 of the NFL draft is all, all good things you like to hear. Yeah, and I think that, you know, obviously there are, there's a lot of time until these guys sign on the dotted line, but because of what we're going to get to, you could also say, you know, he might be the domino because we don't know the order in which these guys kind of maybe decided or talked to each other, but you could at least jump to a conclusion that because Tate pledged his commitment that the other guy did. And I don't want to keep ignoring that name too long, but, um, you know, so he could be one of those class builders, class captain sort of guys, because again, he is vocal and active on social media. He clearly has relationships within throughout the state of Florida. Um, and so I just, I don't think you can say enough about getting him in here and getting that, I guess that second wide receiver on the board. And then you kind of, you put the cherries on top. Yeah, for sure. And without being around the bush too long, that other commit that made his announcement on Tuesday was none other than five-star wide receiver Brandon Ennis, another guy we have talked about a ton here, both on this podcast and you've seen just all around the Ohio State beat. Another five-star wide receiver, the number two wide receiver in the class and the number 18 player overall, just coming off his official visit to Ohio State, which clearly went went pretty well for him to pull the trigger at this point. You know, we thought at, at one point there, right when he decommitted from Oklahoma, that he'd be surely headed to USC to link back up with Lincoln Riley but not the case as Brian Hartline gets the job done once again. And as we've kind of alluded to, you know, they're all, these guys are both connected, Ennis and Tate. They both play uh, seven on seven together on the South Florida Express team. You know, them two, as well as Mark Fletcher and Cedric Hawkins, all members of Ohio State's 2023 recruiting class, all members of South Florida Express seven on seven team, kind of the new Ohio State pipeline in Florida right now. As with these two commitments, Ohio State now has more Florida players in their class currently than Ohio players. But all of these guys, very highly regarded talents. You know, there's some other guys here on the horizon, too. They're still pursuing a guy like the, the safety, Damon Fagan, another four-star prospect, also from Florida, also plays on South Florida Express. He's also uh, a teammate at American Heritage High School, which both Fletcher and Innes both currently play at. So a, a lot of good going on with South Florida Express, but you can't really, you can't overlook a talent like Brandon Innes. One of the, you know, Ohio State had a number, you know, a couple of number one wide receivers here in the past couple of classes, but Brandon Innes on some, on some recruiting sites is the number one wide receiver. He has all the talents to be, you know, 
potentially the number one wide receiver again before everything is said and done in this 2023 class. And just a really, I can't imagine getting two better wide receivers in a two-day span than Ohio State has gotten here in, in Tate and Brandon Innes. Yeah, not to sound like too much of a homer, but I would have these guys ranked ahead of Branch, the kid who's committed to USC. Not because Zachariah Branch isn't like an insane athlete, right? But <clears throat> he's listed at 5'10", 170, and that just fits a certain type of mold, right? I'm not saying he's going to be a gadget guy or a slot-only wide receiver. If you watch some of his stuff on film, he is – like I said, like a, just a crazy athlete can make plays all over the field, but again, limited there in size. So I like Ennis a lot. Clearly seems to be the better athlete between, um, you know, he and Tate, but only by a slim margin. I would say he's got a more compact body, thicker frame. Uh, you know, he's, he played some quarterback at American heritage. So I like that he can be trusted with the ball in his hands and he has developed into a really solid route runner, um, attacks the ball, yak potential for days. I mean, we talked about his ability to play quarterback. I think he even lined up in the backfield from time to time. Maybe it's a swing pass or something like that, but um, just uh, can do a lot of different things. People talk about his aggressiveness and his ability to, or willingness to initiate contact I love that. I think he can do a lot of different things, but he could be sort of that tough over the middle intermediate guy with the extra playmaking ability. And, uh, you know, we were studying wide receivers today, you and I both, which we're going to continue to talk about. But as I was looking through the list, he sort of reminds me of Jalen Marshall, who committed to Ohio State like eight, nine years ago. I think he was a quarterback primarily in high school. I think he ran the option and did some things like that, but he was six foot, 200 pounds. Brandon Ennis is listed at six foot, 190, uh, just a supreme athlete. And so I saw some similarities there and Jalen Marshall's career didn't necessarily pan out to what people thought it might be at Ohio State, but he had the crazy four touchdown game. He was a kick returner, explosive when he did get the ball in his hand. So yeah, I, I think Ennis is the top wide receiver, in my opinion. And to land those two guys, I mean, it's just it's a crazy amount of talent in basically 24 hours. Yeah, and I mean, you look at Innes' scouting report on 247 from uh, Southeast recruiting analyst Andrew Evans. He's already getting, you know, a first-round NFL draft projection, having not played a collegiate snap of football yet, getting comparisons to Jarvis Landry, you know, a top wide receiver in the NFL. And like you said, just a just a crazy dynamic duo. Brian Hartline, I don't know what he's able to tell people, what how, like, he must just be the coolest dude on the planet. Plus that, you know, obviously the track record Ohio State just had coming off this last draft with uh, Olave and Wilson both being taken in those top 11 picks certainly helped them in this regard I think that was a big reason why you know guys like Tate and Innes are probably you know looking at each other they know each other they play together they're probably looking at themselves as you know the next coming of Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson whether they're able to bring that to fruition or not is is to be seen but I, I think that you know two guys of this highest stature are looking at two guys that you know kind of modeled after themselves you figure Tate's the more Garrett Wilson type and Innes the more Olave and you just bring that connection to Ohio State with all of the quarterback talent that they have coming in as well under Ryan Day and it just sets them up for the most success and I think that's why you know, even with all the threats of, you know, NIL from other places and early playing time, other places, I think just the the development, the, the track record of, of Brian Hartline, and Ohio State as a whole with this new offense they have under Ryan Day, I, I think it all comes together. And if you, you know, I've seen, you know, all kinds of different tweets today. It's, you know, if you want to go be an actor, you go play in Hollywood. If you want to, you know, be a wide receiver, you go to Ohio State. And it just seems like that's if you are a top end wide receiver right now, that is the place to be, get best developed and, and best set yourself up for professional career. I don't even know what else you can say at this point. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, Heartline has helped land, and we're going to get into a bunch of numbers and stats, I believe. He has helped land the six highest rated wide receiver recruits in Ohio State history, going back to 2019 and Garrett Wilson. Now, Zach Smith was actually listed as the secondary, so you got to give him some credit with Garrett Wilson, but. Brian Hartline took over on an interim basis in 2018, which was the year uh, Garrett Wilson committed and the year before he enrolled. So he gets some credit there. And what's crazy is that list does not include 
uh, Jameson Williams, who Heartline was the primary on and who recently became a first-round pick. And it does not include Marvin Harrison Jr., Jaden Ballard, or any of the 2022 guys. So when you think about just the numbers and the totality of it all, in three-plus years, this guy has brought in the best Ohio State talent at wide receiver that the Buckeyes have ever seen. And he just continues to do it, continues to build. So, you know, I, I don't know if he can get another raise. I know we talked about it a little bit in our Slack, but um, he, he's just doing everything right. And I, I looked at it and I was, I thought that it's crazy what Heartline is doing. But the more I thought about it, maybe not so much for this reason. You know, he has real advantages, which I'll get to. And on top of that, he's just really, really, really good at his job. Those advantages are Ohio State, Ryan Day, quarterback development and wide receiver development. You know, I think those things get him a seat at the table and then he becomes the head of the table. So, you know, I've seen people online say, oh, you know, it's not so difficult to recruit at Ohio State. Anyone can do it. Well, nobody has done it to the level and to the extent that Brian Hartline has. So, yes, there are some built-in advantages, but I think that really just gets you an opportunity. It gets you a conversation, and then he does the rest. He is arguably or not arguably the best recruiter in the country right now, and he continues to prove it. Yeah, and like you said, that the the Ohio State logo on your chest certainly gets you in the door. But I think you know also what Brian Hartline has to his advantage is he could say you know he's he played himself as a wide receiver at this school. He himself yep. had a very successful NFL career, and you know he's he's still young. He can kind of relate to these guys. You know he's he's up on all the latest social media trends and whatnot. So he's a very relatable guy by all accounts. He seems like a super good dude, super you know genuine guy to be around. So I think all of that just kind of plays a factor. And then you add all that in like you know the personal. The personability of him, you add that all in with just what he's done numbers wise, getting guy guys, you know, money at the next level, and all of that goes into you know wanting to play a wide receiver for Brian Hartline. There's no way around it. And like you said, you know, looking at some of the numbers here, I mean, yeah, it is. It's easy to recruit to Ohio State, but Ohio State just became only the second school in the modern recruiting era to land multiple five star wide receivers in two different classes. Like it's not like you said, it's just not. It, you might think it's easy, but it's something that hasn't been done ever anywhere else. And like you know, they they've landed more five star wide receivers in the last two days than Michigan has in its entire program history. And that's just, you know, insane. They've only had one ever five-star wide receiver. Ohio State just got two in two days. And you look at, you know, his track record overall – this is now 13 top 100 nationally wide receivers. He's landed in his tenure at Ohio State. That's six top 50 wide receivers in just five cycles. That's six five-star receivers since 2019. It's just an incredible run that he's been going on. And now you look at this 2023 class overall, Innes and Tate become the the top two guys in the in their class, number one and number two respectively um, on their board here. Um, they're the they're they're the number two class overall with twelve commitments. They're the uh, their only school with a higher per player average is Alabama. It's about three points higher, but Bama also only has about five commits, so that number is going to come down a bit once they kind of round out their class. And they're only about twenty points behind Notre Dame for the number one overall spot, at least according to the two four seven Sports composite. And they have three less commits than Notre Dame. Ohio State has a higher uh, per player average. So you know, all in all, it's just a, an incredible class for Ohio State as a group. And then what Brian Hartline's been able to do here in landing the three wide receivers he already has and another wide receiver that could be on the horizon another four-star guy that we haven't even gotten to talk about yet it's just it's an insane run and I don't know you know it's a deep room obviously you worry about some guys leaving but when you just have so much talent I mean the the guys at the top are going to rise to the top and if you lose a couple guys along the way it's unfortunate but at the end of the day you have a room full of like 10 five-star wide receivers running around some of them are going to play and you know the best ones of the best are going to make the field it's going to be fun to watch yeah, talent breeds success and competition breeds success. So, you know, these guys are going to be working with the best of the best and some are going to, you know, succeed more than others. <clears throat> but you will, you, you'll take your chances with four and five star talents, right? So you hit on a lot of the numbers that I was going to. Credit to Ari Wasserman, Andrew Lind and the 11 Warriors guys. You probably saw some of the same stuff I did. But you talked about, one of the other things that he can kind of speak to or put on the table and that's his development or his ability to develop. And that uh, kind of the proof is in the pudding in a short period of time. 
he is, I, I don't want to say primarily, I don't want to say exclusively. He is um, like very responsible for the development of Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson and Jackson Smith and Jigba that you can't argue with that. That can't be understated. And as long as JSN doesn't, you know, I don't do something wild, lose a leg, something like that, he's going to be a, a first round draft pick. So you're talking about three in a span of two years. And then the guys that are coming in, you have to like their chances, right? We've seen a uh, nice early return on investment from Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka. Hasn't even really had an opportunity with Julian Fleming, who is still being slept on because he hasn't been able to stay on the field. But he was the top recruit. Uh, you know, he was the first big guy that was the number one overall wide receiver. And so if he's able to put things together, then you've got another guy with a ton of talent and all the 22 and 23 guys um, he's going to continue to do this. He's going to continue to put guys in the NFL. And ultimately, that's what guys are looking for, right? Yes, they're looking for playing time. Yes, they're looking for these NIL opportunities and they want to win at the college level. But the end goal is to become an NFL football player and make millions of dollars. And he has shown the ability to do that and seems to be continuing to do that. So I don't see his momentum slowing down anytime soon. Do you? No, I don't. And what I what I really like to see about guys like this committing to Ohio State is that they're they're up for the challenge. They want to compete with the best of the mm-hmm. best because you know you look at these two guys. Carnell Tate could have easily gone to Tennessee and been the the top dog in that wide receiver room right from day one. Brandon Innes could have went to USC and, and likely started in year one as well. They know what they're coming into. They're not being caught off guard going to Ohio State. They see the wide receiver room under Brian Hartline, but they don't care. They want to come in. They want to compete. They want to play for who they believe is the best guy to get them to that next level. And I. I I love to see that because, you know, it's very easy as a, a top overall guy to go to a, a smaller school or even even like a, another big school, but a school with a, a better opening at your position. But to go to a school like Ohio State that has probably the deepest wide receiver room in the country as these five-star prospects, it just shows that these guys want to be the best that they can. And I think that that kind of, like you said before, that that kind of competition just breeds more success. So you have these guys who are going to make each other better along the way as they all compete for playing time in this Ohio State wide receiver room. And I'm going to go through here in a, in a, in a minute, uh, you know, just some of their, their recent wide receiver classes and talk about the potential this one has to be the best one. But there's just a ridiculous amount of talent in this room, and all these guys are going to get a chance to compete with one another, learn from one another, and, you know, at the end, the result for Ohio State is going to be just a a ridiculous crop of wide receivers. Yeah, and I want you to get to that list, but I think the one thing I would say in response to kind of what you said is that you're right about the competition. It's, It's pretty rare for a guy to step foot on campus, win a job as a freshman, and then ball out as a freshman. Yes, you see it, but it's not the most common thing in the world but year two, year three, that's where it happens. And now these guys, look, they get a little bit of money thrown their way and they get to see the field some. But you look at a guy like JSN who didn't really do much as a freshman, absolutely exploded as a sophomore. You know, 12 months is not a long period of time to wait, especially if you want to be the best. You can work at your craft for a year. And guys have seen that at Ohio State. Even Chris Olave, it took some time. And, you know, he was a, a lower-ranked recruit, but Garrett Wilson took a little bit of time. Marvin Harrison Jr., gosh, you know, we've talked about him a couple of times. He looks like Terrell Owens all of a sudden. He didn't see the field, you know, that much, and then he plays in the Rose Bowl and scores three touchdowns. So these guys know that, yes, they're going to buy their time get some money in their pocket while doing so and get the best coaching and the best development. And again, the end result is what they're looking for. It's not immediate success that attracts all of these guys or immediate playing time that attracts all of these guys. They want the totality of it all. Yeah, and, and even with all of the talent that Brian Hartline has brought in in these in these few years at Ohio State, I think that this class 
has a chance to be his best yet, and that's act, that's saying a lot considering the talent we've seen. You know, we haven't talked about him yet, but Noah Rogers is another guy who, if there was going to be you know a fourth man in this Ohio State class, it's almost certainly going to be him. Another six foot two, one hundred eighty guy, similar build as uh, Carnell Tate. He's the number nine wide receiver, number fifty player overall, number one player in North Carolina. Also coming off of his official visit to Ohio State this past weekend, he's got seven crystal balls. All of them are in favor of Ohio State. Most of them are from back in May, so it seems like nothing has really changed in his recruitment. And all signs point to him ending up at Ohio State. And if that does happen, you know, you're looking at a class here in 2023 with the, you know, the number two in in Ennis, the number three in Tate, the number nine in Noah Rogers, and then the number 32 in Bryson Rogers, who, you know, we've talked about Brian Hartline being a good, you know, uh, having a good eye for talent as well. We saw what happened with, you know, uh, Kion Grays in the last class where he starred as a, you know, low three-star guy and ended up being the number 14 wide receiver in the class and a four-star prospect. I guarantee we see kind of a similar rise there for Bryson Rogers. I wouldn't be surprised if he finishes as a top 20, top 15 wide receiver when all is said and done because I trust, you know, no reason to not trust Hartline's eye for talent at this point. I don't think they would take you know a guy that low if they didn't have full trust in him to be uh, as good as any of the other guys they took so you know, you look at a class like that with 2, 3, 9, and 32 with the chance for that 32 to bump up. And even some of these last classes, you know, in 2022, uh, 2022 was a really, really good class. They had number 13, Caleb Brown, number 14, Kion Grays, number 21, Caleb Burton, and number 26, Kojo Antwi. Uh, 2021, you had the number one receiver in Emeka Ibuka with number 14, Marvin Harrison, which seems very low at this point, having seen him, what just what he looks like at this point. And number 15, Jaden Ballard. And then 2020 is probably the best run for their money there with this class, with number one, Julian Fleming, number five, JSN, uh, number 10, uh, G. Scott, who we now know is a tight end, and then number 16, Mookie Cooper, who wound up transferring to Missouri. And then 2019, his first, you know, real big class was the number two, Garrett Wilson, and number 13, Jamison Williams. So a lot of talent in all of those classes. Not all of them have panned out at Ohio State. Some of them haven't really gotten their chance yet. But in terms of just pure talent rankings here, it's it's looking like this 2023 class, if they're able to land Rodgers as well, could be his best ever. And that's just ridiculous because of all the guys he's brought in. He's brought in, you know, a hand, a, a pair of number one wide receivers in the country. And there's still a chance that this group could be his best yet. And that's just insane. What's crazy is I'm not sleeping on the 2022 class, and I'm not saying that you are either, but those guys were all so close together, but all top 26 guys. So they haven't even gotten the opportunity yet. I I think they could be special. What you're really just looking at is a prolonged period of success where as long as most of these guys stick around and pan out, it's almost impossible for Ohio State to fail at wide receiver in the next couple of seasons. And that's saying a lot. There's a lot TBD. But with the amount of talent in the room, you know, if one guy doesn't cut it or can't stay on the field or something like that, there's somebody behind that guy to take his spot, replace him in the lineup. So at the very least, they've got this embarrassment of riches that you and I have talked about before. They've got so many options to where they can plug and play and see how these guys' skill sets relate to the next level, that being college. And so I, I just think that they've got the biggest margin for error, which is good to have when you're taking guys from one level up to the next and seeing if they all pan out. So that's the thing. It's just the availability and the options they have to choose from. It's going to be crazy. I I, I keep saying that. I don't know what else you can say. It's just, I think it's unprecedented. And I'm really happy that it's happening at Ohio State. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at the current makeup of the roster and you you have uh, seven top 20 wide receivers on the roster as things stand currently going into 2022. And that's, you know, not, uh, Caleb Burton was a guy who was a, a top five wide receiver in that class before he, he got an injury in his last year and he dropped a bunch. So he's probably a lot better than his number 21 ranking su- could suggest. So, you know, you have 20 to, you know, you have like seven or eight top 20 wide receivers in that room. And like you said, it'd be impossible for nearly all of them to not pan out. So the, the floor of talent at Ohio State wide receiver room is definitely as high as it could be and you know there's only really three or four guys on the field at any given time I'm sure they're going to rotate a lot so we'll see a good chunk of these guys but between all of that talent and now you have two of the top top three wide receivers coming in in the next class as well as potentially a third in the top 10 uh things are going pretty well for Ohio State's wide receivers right now we need to uh 
get Mike Leach on the horn or suggest it to Ohio State because they need to figure out a way to get four or five of these guys on the field at any given time. We've talked about the death of the tight end. You've called for the elimination of the tight end position at Ohio State, and clearly that's not going to happen. But it's going to be interesting, though, how if and how they find a way to get all of these guys on the field. You know, you don't know if red shirts are going to take place. That's less and less prevalent nowadays. So they're going to have to get creative. But you've got a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different like body makeups. You know, Caleb Brown, um, Burton, some of those guys are, you know, right at six foot, maybe a little bit less. Then you've got a guy like Carnell Tate, 6'2", Marvin Harrison Jr., 6'3", 6'4", Julian Fleming. You've talked about maybe being too big, too muscular, but he's got that compact sort of body. Brandon Innes is similar in that way. So a lot of different makeups and and, uh, kind of things that you can pull from. It's just a matter of finding finding out how it relates and if a guy is better on the outside versus the inside. But again, they're going to have – a ton of options and a ton of time to figure that out. And that's ignoring the fact that they're projected to have Kyle McCord, Devin Brown and Dominic Riola throwing to them. So odds are if they don't pan out or God forbid they fail, it's likely not going to be because of quarterback play, right? They, they go hand in hand. They've worked in tandem Ryan day and um, gosh, Corey Dennis, have continued to supplement the wide receiver room with these great quarterbacks. So you're bringing in these batteries to use a baseball term. And, you know, the pitcher and the catcher, they've got a ton of talent there. You know, you're talking 20 guys when you look at the two positions or damn near. So that's another good feather in the cap for Ohio State that they're not, they shouldn't have to figure it out at quarterback if they continue to recruit on a, uh, equal or near equal level at that position too yeah and and they're still looking for another quarterback to add in this 2023 class not that they really need one per se but they are looking to flip that kid from Baylor if they could do it would be another big get and you know you talked about Dylan Raiola there was actually a video today of him throwing to Carnell Tate inside the Woody so kind of a you know a peek into the future of Ohio State's offense there and you know just looking even more forward like Brian Hartline doesn't look like he's slowing down you know he lands two five-star wide receivers in this class Ohio State's already the favorite to land five-star wide receiver Jeremiah Smith in 2024 you got him tweeting out the uh, the eyeball emojis today shortly after uh, Brent Innes commits. So it, it doesn't look like this is going to be a trend that's stopping anytime soon. And with the way things are going Ohio, in, at Ohio State, I don't know why they would. Like you said, it would take, you know, so many different guys failing for this all to not come together and, and work out well. But I think that and it has talk. happened, right? Like yeah. they haven't whiffed on these guys. Yeah, no, there, there's been very few guys that haven't really you know, panned out among these wide receivers, especially. And, you know, you look at a guy maybe like a Julian Fleming whose career has kind of been bogged down by injuries. Don't I don't say know. If, it. Yeah, I don't know if it's fair to call him a bust because we haven't really seen him play a full season. But, you know, all of these highly recruited guys, even guys like, you know, you said uh, Chris Olave was not at all a highly regarded receiver and he just became a top 12 pick in the NFL draft. You know, it's not all about the recruiting ranking. It's about the development. It's about, you know, fitting these guys into the right holes, which is something I think that Ohio State didn't do a great job with some of their other better wide receivers pre-Heartline. You know, I think they could have used guys, you know, earlier in their career, like, a, you know, a Ben Victor or, or a Paris Campbell probably could use them better to their strengths. And I think they're doing that a lot better these days under Brian Hartline. So all of that fits into play. And I think just looking at these Ohio State wide receivers, it kind of brings us into you know, the, the bit of the second half of what we wanted to do on this podcast and just kind of looking at the Big Ten as a whole and, and which schools have really dominated at one position or another. Because you look at, obviously, the wide receiver position here, and talking about Ohio State, I, I think they're far and away clearly the, the top dog at the wide receiver room in the Big Ten. You know, you look at the other big schools. I just said earlier, you know, there's only been one five star ever to commit to Michigan, and they're probably, you know, the second best school in the conference here or there. So, you know, you look at some other schools, I think maybe like, a, you know, Penn State has, has had a couple of guys. You know, they've had the, the Chris Godwins, the KJ Hamlers, Jahan Dotsons, Deshaun Hamilton. They've had a good run, but not quite as high as Ohio State. You know, you look at a Purdue with David Bell and Rondale Moore, uh, Maryland 
somehow got Stephon Diggs to play there. Um, so these schools have had a couple of one-off really good wide receivers and wide receivers that were good at both you know the college and NFL level, but nothing quite the sustained success we've seen over the last you know five or ten years or so at Ohio State. So I think if you're looking, you know, we're going to go through some of the Big Ten positions here, but just starting at wide receiver as we've been talking about him the whole time, I don't think there's any competition with Ohio State in the wide receiver room across the conference. No, there's not. And I, I slept on Penn State, though. I did not have them written down. They've had four or five guys in the last couple of seasons, handful of seasons. Chris Godwin's a little bit older now, but that's one that I slept on. Outside of Penn State, though, nobody's even close. You know, Rondale Moore, TBD in Arizona. He'll get some additional opportunities with, uh, gosh, Christian Kirk leaving. But he's almost a gadget guy. I mean, he's small for the NFL. He's a burner, but we'll see. And then David Bell, I think, was underrated uh, as a college prospect, and he slipped a little bit in the draft, but I think he can be successful. But, yeah, I mean, Ohio State is head, shoulders, knees, and toes above the rest. Yeah, and I don't want to go, you know, when we're looking at all these positions, I don't want to go pure, like, NFL production. I think we could kind of do a mix of, you know, uh, you know, college production, just like levels of talent, and then, you know, throw in some of the NFL. The NFL stuff is obviously important because that shows your, your, your ability to develop and whatnot. But I think, you know, just in terms of guys that were really, really good, or maybe I would say even elite at the college level, you're looking at a, a few handful of guys here and there outside of Ohio State, you know, even looking at, you know, the, the top, the other top dogs, you know, in the West, I feel like there's really – not a really ton of wide receiver talent over there at all. You know, Wisconsin's more of a run-heavy team. Northwestern's more of a run-heavy team. Not a lot of, you know, Iowa doesn't have a ton of high-flying wide receivers. It's more of a tight end group over there. So it's really in the Big Ten, Ohio State reigns supreme at wide receiver. And, and as a result, I think they also probably reign supreme at quarterback because, you know, while they haven't had a ton of NFL success, you have to have a good quarterback to throw to the wide receivers. And if you're not a school that's throwing a ton, you're not going to really attract many quarterbacks. So, you know, even with Ohio State's run of, you know, Dwayne Haskins, Justin Fields, and C.J. Stroud, I don't think there's really any other above average quarterback in the Big Ten in that same time. Maybe like a an Aiden O'Connell. Is he the best non-Ohio State quarterback in the last five years? That's that's bleak. Peyton Thorne at MSU. Like, what do we I don't really know who else like is out there. As a pure passer, I mean, yeah, those two guys are up there. Maybe even Tanner Morgan, just because he's put up some stats for an extended period of time at Minnesota. But a lot of run-heavy teams, like you said, and even the the Aiden O'Connells of the world, you know, it hasn't translated to the next level. The two names you hit on are probably the only other two that I would think of when it comes to passer, passing yards, NFL quarterback. So that's another position where I think Ohio State is well above the pack. That's that's well really bad. That's really bad. If if our <laughs> if the best competition out there is Aiden O'Connell and Peyton Thorne, and they're you know they're fine players, they're not terrible. But if that's the best there is outside of Ohio State in the Big Ten, this is it, it's crazy that this conference ever competes outside of itself because it's you know the, the Ohio State really right now between quarterbacks and wide receivers is the only team that's gone you know full twenty twenty two offense, full you know well, pass heavy, and it's just it's it, crazy. Gene, Michigan should be up there. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is their damn head coach. He played in the NFL for I don't know how many years, and they have fallen on their face time after time. You know, we'll see with J.J. McCarthy and guys like that, but Michigan should be up there, and they're probably fourth on that list when it comes to program quarterback development. Yeah, and I mean, they could claim Tom Brady, but that was how long ago at this point. And like, <laughs> I, you know, they, they were good last year, but I don't think they were good because of Cade McNamara. I think Cade McNamara yeah. was, he was fine, but I don't think he was, you know, I would consider him an elite quarterback. I think he did what he needed to do. We didn't turn the ball over. You're sleeping on Shea Patterson, aren't you? I Yeah, no, Shea Patterson was an elite quarterback. He's a USFL star, and I won't hear anything <laughs> else about it. But yeah, no, it's, Michigan isn't really a, you know, when Michigan is good, their strength is in that offensive line and that run game. They haven't really had a, you know, an above average quarterback in quite some time now I you know I'm getting visions of of uh what's that guy's name Jonathan O'Corn what was that was his name they, they've had John some O'Korn. they've had some real stars back there in the last couple of years but yeah for a team that's probably you know the number two talent wise in in the Big Ten they haven't really been a good you know quarterback wide receiver tandem they've had some good you know decent wide receivers you know Donovan Peoples Jones they probably didn't use correctly but he was a very good wide receiver but. As far as you know, quarterback and wide receivers in the in the Big Ten, uh, I think Ohio State's you know 
there, there's like Ohio State, there's like 16 levels of just blank, and then there's the next team on the list. So it's it's kind of bleak in those two regards. I think Ohio State's definitely the far and away leaders in those. But I think there are some other positions on offense here that Ohio State is maybe no. Ohio State's going to lead in a lot of these just because they are the most talented team in, in the conference on a yearly basis, but not at every spot. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. If you want to go position by position, let's do it. But I do have Ohio State as the top school at one, two, three, four, five positions. So I just want to throw that out there. But I kind of like going position by position, too, if you want to keep doing that. Yeah, I think that works. I think, uh, you know, I kind of broke it down. I didn't make it like corners and safety. I just kind of did defensive backs. Um, I also just did, you know, defensive line, offensive line. I didn't go into like tackles and, and ends and all that whatnot. So if you want to just do it that way, I think it's good. But, you know, if we want to move here, wide receivers and quarterbacks, not much of a discussion, not a ton of talent outside of Ohio State. But I think running back is a, a pretty good uh, pretty good battle here between Ohio State and Wisconsin. I don't know if you had a different team on your list, but Wisconsin's had a really good run of running backs here with Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, and now Braylon Allen. I think that's a pretty good rival to, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, J.K. Dobbins, and Travion Henderson. So I think there's a, you know, and, and they've probably had more NFL success between those three. I know J.K. Dobbins was, you know, kind of in a run share and then he got he got hurt, so he hasn't really gotten a chance to play. But Jonathan Taylor, I think, is probably, you know, if not the best running back in the in the NFL right now, one of the best. Melvin Gordon obviously had a very good career and, and Braylon Allen's coming on just like Trayvon Henderson is. So I, I think it's a good discussion between Wisconsin and Ohio State, unless it's another team that I'm forgetting up there. Uh, I do have one other, but I'll hit on those two first. I had Ohio State as the number one running back school in the Big Ten because of Kind of the combination of things like you talked about, Zeke, um, J.K. Dobbins, and I'm projecting a little bit for Travion Henderson. But if you go like top of the board recently, those guys are up there with Jonathan Taylor. Now, Wisconsin, they had him, Melvin Gordon. They also had James White a couple years back. And I even went back a little bit further to Ron Dane who won a Heisman and was, uh, you know, didn't do too much in the NFL. But you're looking at four guys right there, and then Braylon Allen could be something special. So I think Wisconsin is a close second for me. Then there's a big drop. But the other school I had written down was Penn State because they had Saquon Barkley recently. But if you go back a little bit, they had Larry Johnson and Kajana Carter, who were great at the college level. Larry Johnson had a couple big seasons in, in the NFL. Kajana Carter was a top pick, although he was a bust for my Bengals. And then they also had a couple other guys who were good in Happy Valley, but didn't make much noise outside of that. Um, the one guy, gosh, and I should have written it down, Evan Royster uh, was good for Penn State about eight, ten years ago. So that's going back a little bit. But those are your top three, and I would have Ohio State ranked first in that group. Yeah, I would certainly hear that argument. And and like you said, there are some schools that, you know, I did also – Take a look at, you know, Penn State almost purely for Saquon Barkley. You know, you've had some other schools with some good one-offs. You know, I, I think of, you know, currently Muhammad Ibrahim at, at Minnesota and, you know, other running backs. that. Michigan's had some, some decent running backs in their time. But I, I think top-level talent between, you know, the, the you know between development, between college-level, NFL-level, I, I think that Ohio State and Wisconsin are both one and two up there. I would be good flipping them either way, and that's almost entirely because of, you know, the supreme NFL success of Jonathan Taylor. I also, you know, I liked Jonathan Taylor as a prospect. I really like him in the NFL. 
NFL. He's fun to watch. So I have no issues there going either way there, one or two flipping. But I do think that, you know, Ohio State and Wisconsin are definitely above the rest. And, it, and there's a pretty significant gap just because of, you know, the amount of guys. You know, a lot of schools have had their, their one-offs, but Ohio State and Wisconsin have been pretty consistent at that position. Yeah, no major argument for me. You can nitpick between Ohio State and Wisconsin at running back, but I think we're all we're on the same page so far for sure. Yeah, now uh, offensive line is an interesting one because I don't think it's it's one of Ohio State's strong suits. They certainly haven't been bad, but I don't think they're among the tops in the in the conference. When I think of you know Big Ten offensive lines, I think more you know in the direction of the West, some more you know Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern. I might give the the edge here to Northwestern because of some of their top end talent, but. There's, there's some other guys in the other two. My problem with Wisconsin, I know they probably have the, the rep as the kind of offensive line school in the Big Ten, but they just get a lot of, like, in-state big dudes from Wisconsin. I don't think they're very, like <laughs> – like, they, they put together a good squad as a whole, but I don't think on an individual basis a lot of those guys are, like, the most talented in the country. I think they just have a lot of good talent base at that position in that state for whatever reason. But I don't know if I would consider them the top dogs. Maybe they are. I mean, maybe that's a lot of the reason for their success at running back has been some of those really really good offensive lines, but I think those three schools are pretty comparable to me. I also think that Michigan's had some like quietly good offensive lines, especially this past season um, and some of the past few seasons. You know that's been the big reason why they've been able to run the ball so well. So I think this is a this is a better battle than a couple of the other offense positions that we just named, mainly the skill positions. I think that this is more open because I think this is more of what the Big Ten is known for. That you know the trenches. I could not pick a winner. I, it was between Wisconsin and Iowa. For me, although, you know, your Northwestern add in there with Rashawn Slater, you know, who knows? And I think they've got another good one coming up. But I looked at Wisconsin. You're right. I think it's the sum of the parts, right? They've got guys from left to right who, especially in college, are really, really good. But if you look at some of their past NFL players, they had Kevin Zeitler, uh, Rob Havenstein, Ryan Ramchick. Uh, They had Tyler Badich from last year. So they've had some guys that have translated to the next level. Same thing with Iowa. I didn't write down the names, um, but there's a uh, gosh, the, the guy for the Tampa Bay Bucks that's just an absolute Tristan Wirfs is a stud for them and a couple other guys. So it would be between those two schools for me. And then I would say like Michigan, then Northwestern maybe. And I maybe we're kind of, poo-pooing on Ohio State a little bit. They have had some talent come out. But let me know if you agree here. There's a recency bias for me. And they have underwhelmed. Ohio State linemen have underwhelmed, in my opinion. Now, the narrative could change pretty quickly with Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones and Donovan Jackson, things like that. So Ohio State has the on-paper talent. They just need to kind of marry those two up. But I would put them a little bit lower on the list just because of that recency bias. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think this past season, what Ohio State tried to do with those four offensive tackles probably left a, a bad taste in our mouth around the offensive line. But like you said, they've had some really good individual talent. You know, you look at our, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we did our offensive draft. You know, I, I went pretty heavy offensive line. You look at the, you know, the Corey Lindsleys, the Taylor Deckers, the, you know, the Jonah Jacksons of the world. They, are, they have some very good players in the NFL right now from Ohio State along the offensive line. I do think it's a chance that we're maybe underselling Ohio State because of some of their recent struggles. I think that in the past, you know, maybe they'll, Definitely last year, maybe the past two or three years, they've had some guys playing out of position that maybe hamstrung them a bit up front. And I think that they were, you know, they were maybe better than the sum of their parts, whereas Wisconsin's able to put it all together better. Um, I think Ohio State's had, you know, maybe better individual talent at one or two spots, but as a whole, they weren't as good because of guys playing out of position or just, you know, improper coaching, whatever, what have you. Like you said, maybe under Justin Fry, that'll turn around and we'll think much differently after this year. But yeah, I, I think Wisconsin, Iowa, definitely up there. Iowa's had probably the bigger star power at offensive line between, like you said, Tristan Wirfs and then uh, this past season, uh, the center whose name is escaping me, Linderbaum. Uh, yeah, Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah, he was very good at center. So they've had some of the bigger star power lately. So maybe Iowa gets the edge there. But yeah, maybe you know maybe Justin Fry can turn things around. They definitely have the talent this year. A couple five stars along that offensive line with Paris Johnson Jr. and Donovan Jackson, uh, Dewan Jones up there as a mountain of a man. Uh, so they definitely have some potential this season. We'll see how it goes. But you know, in terms of just sustained success at that that position, I, I think the West has the East beat for sure there. And I think if you want to go Wisconsin or Iowa, I think that's the way to go. If you're talking the Hog Mollies up front. All right. 
right. Sounds like we're we're four for four in somewhat uh, somewhat agreement here. <clears throat> yeah, I'm all about it. I mean, I think it's you know these are all up for debate, and you know maybe def- having a deeper you know we don't know by heart the rosters of all of these teams, so maybe if you're you know a bigger fan of one of these teams, you'd have more insight, and maybe there's more guys that we're just forgetting that you know especially along the offensive defensive line. If you're not one of the the star guys, you might get forgotten there. So the, the offensive line is probably may up, more up for debate, but a lot of the skill positions are pretty obvious. Like as we move here to defensive line, where once again I think Ohio State reigns supreme. It's tough to have uh, you know Joey Bosa Nick. Bosa and Chase Young, even just those three guys, let alone all the other talent they've had, just those three guys alone are probably enough to, to push them over the edge. But I do think there are some worthy contenders here. I think Michigan's had quietly some really good defensive linemen, maybe not even quietly. You know, guys like Rashawn Gary, Chase Winovich, most recently Aiden Hutchinson have, you know, they've produced some good NFL talent there. Um, other schools have had some good one-offs, but maybe not as good sustained success. You look at, you know, a guy like George Karloftis at Purdue most recently, uh, Boy Mafe at Minnesota, guys like that. But I think overall sustained success, what Larry Johnson's been able to do at Ohio State's defensive line, it might not always come together, much like the offensive line, but I think individual basis, Ohio State it's defensive line, the talent they put into the NFL is is far supreme over the conference. Yeah, so I ranked Ohio State first, but with an asterisk. So <clears throat> I think you look at the top end talent, right? You've got the Brosas, you've got Chase Young. Those three guys are, you know, head and shoulders above most of the rest. But I kind of had to put Ohio State in a tie with Michigan because of the numbers, you know, going back a little bit, they had Frank Clark, Taco Charlton. You mentioned Gary and Winovich, Quiddy Pay, uh, and then they had Hutchinson and Ojabo this year. So you're looking at six or seven guys there who, and you know, we can argue outside linebacker if you want, but I think pass rushers is where I put Ohio State in a tie with Michigan. But, you know, the totality of it all, I think you also have to give some credit to Iowa. You know, they put some guys in the league across the line. They put in some defensive tackles. And then they had, uh, you know, like A.J. Epinesa, who was an Uber recruit and, you know, was fairly highly drafted by the Bills. Hasn't done a ton. But so tip your hat to them. And then Wisconsin, just because of the Watt brothers. Now, J.J. was a 3-4 end. His brother TJ was more of an outside linebacker rusher, but I kind of lumped them in together, if that's fair. So I I think you have to give Wisconsin a little bit of credit, too, but they are a little bit lower on the list, although top heavy, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I think you could, uh, you know, we, we could give credit to whoever we want. It's our ranking, so we can do what we want. But yeah, I think, you know, giving them the watts on the ends, like you said, I would say TJ more of a linebacker. JJ, I guess you could classify as defensive end. But either way, even if you want to give them both defensive ends, obviously very top heavy, two of, you know, two of the better defensive players in the NFL right now. But other than that, not a, not a ton to come out of Wisconsin the last few years. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Michigan thing is fair. I think, you know, since... You know, we're still waiting on what's going to come of JT Twimaloa and Jack Sawyer, so maybe that could tip the scales even more heavily in Ohio State's favor. But well, Michigan has had a very steady line of success here across the defensive line. So while they maybe not have the, you know, they haven't had the probably the top end talent. Aiden Hutchinson's probably the most top end talent they've had, at least in terms of you know pro prospect. Um, but you know, guys like Joey Bosa, Chase Young, you know, Nick Bosa, those three guys are probably you know the most talented of, of anybody in the Big Ten to come from that position in a long time, maybe other than the Watts. Um, so. I think it is a good battle there kind of in terms of, you know, uh, like you said, the numbers game. They have a lot of guys with a lot of talent. Ohio State might have just the three most talented of the group. So I think it's a good battle there. And, you know, just another another instance of the rivalry, another uh, you know place where they could fight it out among their their spot to be defensive line you um, and just another way to to heat up that rivalry even more and put some maybe more pressure on guys like, uh, you know, JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer to kind of push the scales in Ohio State's direction. If JTT and Jack Sawyer pan out and, and Zach Harrison take a leap then I think maybe that is the difference at least in my opinion but right now it's it's recognition versus depth and so I think Ohio State and Michigan are in two different categories at the top but I I am hoping that the the reputation for Ohio State sort of comes back with some of these younger guys and these future draftees 
Yeah, and hopefully, you know, the the Ohio State recruiting on that side of the ball, defensive line and whatnot, you know, starts to catch up a bit to the rest of the stuff. I think Ohio State's, you know, we can have a whole conversation about Ohio State's defensive recruiting here, but, uh, you know, we'll get into that maybe at a later time. But, you know, they're obviously not recruiting as highly on the defensive side of the ball as, you know, they have been in the past. I think that, you know, the offense is getting a lot of love right now. They could still use some work on the defense, especially up front. I think they've done fine in the secondary. They're doing a good job at linebackers now, but I think the the defensive line could use a little bit more work here. They are, they are bringing in a good amount of guys here. Um, and maybe they'll let they'll land some big fish as we get closer to the end of the 2023 cycle. But defensive line, obviously, you know, you're, you're just coming off a class. We had two five stars, so I can't complain too much. Um, however, when it comes to linebackers here, I'm going to go ahead and say definitely not Ohio State at the top. Is that fair? Yeah, that's the only note I had written down, actually. So we might have to grab names out of thin air, but I just had not Ohio State. That's actually funny because that's also my literally my linebackers list says definitely not Ohio State. That is the only <laughs> thing I have listed there. I, I wrote the actually the only other thing I have listed there is Penn State question mark and in parentheses I put Micah Parsons. Yeah, they, you know they had some good guys last year. I think Penn State is deserving of a spot in the argument. Michigan has had some guys. Wisconsin has sneaky had some linebackers. They haven't necessarily translated to the NFL, but like Chanel could be a crazy weapon at the next level if he gets developed. Uh, We talked about TJ Watt. I'm with you. I probably consider him more of a linebacker, but I wasn't sure if we were going to go there. So you've got him there at Wisconsin and a couple of other guys. So I, I think it's split between the divisions, quote unquote, but I think you've got a number of schools kind of bunched up and grouped together as you know, these programs that have produced some guys, but like big name linebackers aren't really jumping out to me for some reason right now, with the exception of Ohio State's past linebackers. Like I, I wanted to give them credit for Shazier and Darren Lee and Raekwon McMillan and maybe even Jerome Baker, but they were sort of spread out and the recency bias came back into play for me. I just couldn't put Ohio State in that top group. Yeah, and and I wonder if it's a result of you know the Big Ten starting to figure out that it's a it's a forward passing league, and that you know these linebackers maybe aren't getting enough love because it is weird that like we're you know it's a conference that was built around you know three yards in a cloud of dust football, and you know the linebacker position being super important, but yet here we are trying to find the best linebacker school in the country, and none of them really jump out a ton you know the like we said you know we mentioned a couple of big names across a couple of different schools but there hasn't been really I don't think one school that's had just a, a significant amount of linebacker talent coming through year after year and we know that you know Ohio State struggled at linebacker recently but I don't think they're you know they, they might be behind the pack but I don't think they're super far behind because it's not like they're getting you know beat consistently by one school or another it just seems like you know a guy pops up here and there and maybe that guy could be you know someone like CJ Hicks for Ohio State and then we're having a different conversation in a year or two but but it doesn't seem like, for whatever reason, the Big Ten is super deep in, in linebacker talent right now. I mean, maybe even like, a you know, I think of a team like Indiana with Micah McFadden and a couple other guys there. Like, they're somewhere in the mix. So, like, it's just it's weird that, like, none of these schools have been consistently pulling in linebackers with the, you know, the way that the, the Big Ten is oriented, especially, like, with their offenses. It is a change in the game, for sure. I think that's a good point. And then it's it's so varied. It used to be that you, the big name linebackers were your Mike linebackers. They were your middle linebackers and they racked up 140 tackles per season. And now with so much nickel being played and like we look here at Ohio State, potentially having two on the field and two linebackers on the field at any given time, a lot of guys moving in and out, they don't necessarily rack up the stats that they used to. I think the two in general that really kind of jump out to me are TJ Watt, pass rushing specialist, and Micah Parsons, who did literally everything at Penn State, but two sort of different unique skill sets or positions that they play. And it just, it is the result of what football has become, which is, you know, your pass rushers and your DBs are really the ones that get the headlines. Yeah, and I mean, you look at even a school like Ohio State, they just said screw it, and they went to a 4-2-5. They're taking a linebacker off the field. So that's that's how, you know, the much the linebacker position has changed, how much the importance of it has changed over the years, uh, you know, for these schools that play these different styles of offense especially. So, I don't know, there's, there's probably a school out there that's produced like three first-round linebackers that we're just not thinking of, and everyone's just yelling at us through their uh, through their iPhones <laughs> right now. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, we were an Ohio State podcast. I don't know the in-depth rosters of, like, Iowa's linebackers, so I apologize. But in terms of 
defensive linebackers, yeah. I mean, you look at the Watts at Wisconsin and Michael Parsons at Penn State, and those are the guys that also came to my mind. So I think we'll just kind of leave it at those two schools and we'll we'll move on here because I don't have much else to say about Ohio State's linebackers. They haven't exactly been uh, encouraging, I'll say, for the most part. But Gene, I think it used to be an argument when you could talk about some of the guys that Michigan had and then like Penn State had LeVar Arrington, Ohio State had, you know, A.J. Hawk, Andy Katz, and more things like that. But then you're getting into 10, 15, 20 years ago, and that's just not the topic at hand. So I think we can be forgiven if we miss some guys and move on. Yeah, if this was like an all-time list, I think it'd be a much different conversation. But we're just talking, you know, five, ten years or so, maybe even less. Just, you know, recent memory, which schools are kind of dominating at each position. And, you know, if that's the discussion, which schools are dominating, I'd say there isn't a school that's dominating right now at linebacker. It's kind of hit or miss across the board. But, uh, you know, to end things on a positive note here, at least the last position I have, unless you really want to get into specialists, uh, is the defensive backs where I think, once again, Ohio State is on top. Uh, You know, we know what they've been able to produce over the years, you know, recent memory. Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, Jeff Okuda, you know, Malik Hooker and Von Bell at safeties, just defensive backs across the board. Ohio State's had a very strong run. I think the next closest school would probably be Iowa, who has quietly produced like a very a lot of very productive defensive backs. Um, even NFL guys, you know, Desmond King, Micah Hyde, uh, Josh Jackson had that three interception game against Ohio State that I'm sure you all remember fondly. Uh, Armani Hooker, now Riley Moss coming out. So Iowa they, they've had also a lot of guys. One of my favorite football players ever. And that's Bob Sanders. Do you remember Bob Sanders at all? Yeah, like that, they've had some guys. Yeah, he was, uh, gosh, he was so fun to watch. He was like a 5'7 missile. But um, I, I'm with you. Ohio State, top of the board for me. You mentioned all the names. Hopefully they can pull things, but, you know, rein things back in. Denzel Burke looks to be, uh, you know, a supreme talent. But they need to develop the guys after that. Hopefully they can do that. But Iowa, yeah, has quietly put a a number of guys in the NFL, and they've got a great secondary right now. It might be a better sum than it is, you know, part, but, or, you know, the parts are better than the sum. Gosh, walked all over myself there. But they've got another great secondary, and the only other school, and I didn't really write down a ton of names, but Michigan has put some guys in the league. My Bengals just drafted Dax Hill, who I think is going to be special at the next level. And they have some some good talent in the room, some talent coming in. But I'm with you. For me, it's Ohio State well above the rest. And then Iowa would probably have been my number two if I ranked them. Yeah, I had Michigan on my list here with like a question mark. I did have, you know, obviously they had Jabril Peppers, but I, I you know, I, I always thought Jabril Peppers was just a, a highly overrated guy. Personally, I just thought he was one of those guys that, you know, he did a lot of everything, but I didn't think he did anything particularly, you know, above average. And, you know, having watched him play for the Giants, I continue to have that that uh that thought. So, you know, they, they like you said, they have some talent coming in. They've had some talent over the last couple of years, but I don't think it's at the same, you know, quite level as Ohio State and Iowa. So Ohio State probably at the top, Iowa right behind them. And like you said, you know, Ohio State's had a couple of years now where they haven't had maybe the most elite defensive backs, but they've got some guys coming in. You know, we're very hopeful of guys like Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson. They just brought in, you know, five-star safety, Sonny Styles. So, you know, and uh, what's the the other safety they have that's looking really good? Kai Stokes. So they have some guys, guys in that secondary that look like they could start to maybe get that unit back, back to the BIA that they used to call themselves. So, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, you're not, not what you, not unexpected to look at the Big Ten and a lot of these positions, Ohio State is on top because, you know, you look at the, the talent composite any given year, Ohio State's probably in the top five nationally on any given year, and obviously the the tops in the Big Ten with the way that they recruit at, at seemingly all of these positions. So I don't think it's super surprising that Ohio State leads in a lot of these categories, but there are some that they're obviously not, maybe not super obviously at the top at, but we know the ones that they're pretty much lacking. I think Ohio State knows them as well. So hopefully they're able to, you know, if, if Brian Hartline can work some of his recruiting magic over to like the linebacker position, that would be great. I don't know how he'd figure it out, but it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, maybe he can just um, brush up on his film. I mean, obviously he played NFL football for a handful of years. He's been doing this long enough. We've seen, it's funny, we've actually seen coaches maybe play a position in a former life and then coach another position when they, you know, put the pad, take the pads off. So not impossible, but I think we can, uh, you know, sort of keep him in his area of expertise. I do want to mention, though, I wrote down tight ends for one school and one school only. You probably know it, but Iowa with George Kittle, Noah Fant, and C.J. Hawkinson, they were, you know, the Ohio State wide receiver equivalent of tight ends for me with a couple of guys from Wisconsin. But that was the only other thing I had written down was Iowa Hawkeye tight ends. 
Yeah, and an extremely on-brand move for me. I completely forgot about tight ends. But yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's I Iowa. have to keep pounding the table because you just want to get rid of all of them. And I know it's um, it'll never happen. I don't think it'll happen. So I'm the tight end guy in the room. Yeah, Hang on the Holy Land would be an entirely anti-tight end podcast, if not for Josh. So we do ha- we do respect him being here as my my foil for my anti-tight end rant. But yes, I, you are one hundred percent correct. You know the Hawkinsons, the the fans, the uh, the Kittles of the world. I don't think it's really even close. You know, Wisconsin's had some guys, but not quite at that level. Um, you know, Ohio State had Jeremy Rucker, and he's probably the best one they've ever had, and they didn't really use him at all. So can't really put him up there with those guys. Between you know their their collegiate t- uh, success as well as their professional success, uh, we saw what they're able to do to Ohio State in 2017. Just that position group alone. So, uh, yeah, pretty good tight ends over at Iowa. That's that's kind of what they do, and they're they're pretty good at doing it. Um, but I, I think you know overall, I, I think that's kind of all we had today. We got a good uh, you know a lot of wide receiver talk with the late latest. Uh, news in the recruiting world not something we were exactly expecting coming into this week it kind of you know we had other plans for a podcast and then as it as we said last week you know Ohio State's the gift that keeps on giving there's always some form of news breaking and landing two five-star wide receivers over the course of two days is certainly news to uh to build a podcast around I would say for sure we talked about Ohio State football is the gift that keeps on giving but it's really Brian Hartline he's the gift that keeps on giving making this Ohio State wide receiver room something just completely unprecedented Still have to get it done on the field, but if you look back at the past couple of seasons, uh, the proof is in the pudding there, and I just, I hope that this also is a bit of a momentum builder at other positions, or just for the 2023 class as a whole, kind of putting a bow on it. They've gone hard after the offensive line and safety in particular in the secondary, and now the wide receivers, and the good thing is you know, the other recruits see the class that Ohio State is building, and these guys have prior relationships. They can be peer recruiters. And I think it's also good to get them in early and get them in waves because it, it like keeps the program hot. You know what I'm saying? Like Alabama tends to add late and they recruit, you know, essentially like no other, but Ohio State tends to hit in waves. And this was a big, important wave for them to kind of hit on and continue to ride. And now they can hopefully build out the rest of their class. Yeah, definitely agree. And, and of course, you know, with these two guys, Tate and Ennis, they're both very active on social media. So I'm sure they'll be recruiting guys. You know, you already saw Luke Montgomery being the guy that's, you know, kind of taking the reins as the leader of this class. But now you have these two five-star guys to start, you know, bringing some of their their friends and their talent over. So it could be, could be all good momentum for this 2023 class. Like we said, it's currently the number two class in the country. They will be, you know, working towards that number one. They're still in on a, a number of, of very highly regarded recruits on both sides of the ball, whether that be along the offensive line or, you know, in the secondary at linebacker a lot of the positions we talked about Ohio State kind to need to to start to build up in, in order to uh you know, uh, make up for the the lack of talent on that side. Well, maybe not lack of talent, but kind of help out the offense that's been going so well, and it just keeps bringing in this elite talent and and producing at an elite level. Now they need the defense to kind of catch up, and so hopefully they could start to to build that side of the ball. The rest of this class now that they have a lot of their offensive talent already set. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, I think that's that's it for us. A lot of recruiting talk, a lot of, you know, Big Ten position talk. Uh, I think it wound up going pretty well. I think that, you know, hopefully we have more more booms here coming in the, in the next coming weeks. Like we said, this month of June is a very busy one for Ohio State. A lot of official visits. This was a big past weekend that came up. There's another big one coming up. So maybe we see more movement in the 2023 class as things go along. But Josh, I think, you know, that's, that's it for me. You got anything else for the people? No, you know, I, I apologize for the fact that we didn't get to the NHL talk, but uh, maybe next time. Yeah, exactly. Well, next next week's podcast will be all about the NHL playoffs and the MLB season when there's when somehow nothing else happens between now and then. But <laughs> nonetheless. Be sure to, you know, check out all of our written content over at LandGrantHolyLand.com. We will be sure to have all the latest on recruiting and anything else going on at Ohio State as the summer months continue. Uh, be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff that all the podcasts tell you to do. And for Josh Dooley, I am Gene Ross. And as always, go Bucks.